that's the part I love about running the most is like running is a sandbox to make mistakes and experience things and learn. And if you fail, your exit is always stopping. You can stop and walk off the road and your life goes on mm-hmm. and nobody cares at the end of the day. You don't even have to care. Mm-hmm. But if you make that, if you make a mistake in life or in work or with relationships or with friends or whatever, like, and you did something risky or gambled or whatever, like that has a pretty decent impact on, on life. But the ability to try something hard and achieve it allows us to take that and say, okay, I can do things that are hard and then things will not be as hard in the future. Um, how is your week going? My week is, uh, is going well. It's been beautiful and warm here in Boulder. Uh, and I just got a new bike and I'm excited to ride it this afternoon. Oh, uh, you haven't ridden it yet? Today's going to be the first day? Not yet. I got it yesterday. I put it together yesterday and uh, today will be the first day. Oh, that's awesome. And you've been in Boulder for like a month now? or on the- uh, Since the beginning of April. Yeah. Beginning of April. Okay. Is that when I, is that when I reached out to you? It's been, um, so I was in, I was in, I went back to the East coast for eight weeks after that. So came back here, uh, mid June. Gotcha. 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 Okay. And how's that been? It's been great. Um, I mean, I've always wanted to, to get out here. Um, I used to come here quarterly or so for work, for work trips and they just kept getting longer and longer and longer. Uh, I spent two months in Breckenridge over the winter, um, up, up in the mountains and um, decided to move here while, while I was there. So um, it's, it's fantastic. It's sort of like, or it is paradise for, for endurance athletes. Um, And uh, it's uh, yeah, it's pretty, pretty amazing. Is how, so let's say Boston is a five out of 10 uh, or I guess Massachusetts East Northeast is five out of 10 for, for running endurance and, um, all of that good stuff. What, how, where would you put? Colorado? So I put, I put Boston as like a, an eight out of 10 for road running. Um, the humidity in the summer makes it challenging. Um, Colorado or Boulder is a, a 12 out of 10. I mean, wow. it, the, the, the community is fantastic. Um, what I love about this place is everybody is here because they want to be here and they've chosen to, you know, bet on themselves, whether it's uh, personally or professionally, or they just love the mountains and um, it, it just brings a special person out here. But the perfect epitome of it is every time I go to the track, it's the widest range of people with the backdrop being the mountains. And you're looking, you're watching people running an all out effort at a nine minute mile. And you're, you're seeing people at a five minute mile pace looking completely effortless. I was, I was running um reps at 515 and i got my doors blown off it looked like i was going backwards and i was running 515 pace (laughs) so you're in between professional athletes and elite amateurs and uh elite 80 year olds and everyone in between and uh you know the the older woman walking down the street can kick your ass on the bike and just like all the it's just it's such a cool environment and everyone's so outdoorsy um and yeah i love it 
Awesome. Uh, and was this a surprise to you that you moved or have you thought, did you think about it for a while before? Uh, yeah, I've been thinking about it for years. I didn't really think it were, I don't, I didn't think it was going to be possible for a few more years. Um, but the pandemic sort of fast tracked that. Um, and here we are. Mm -hmm. And is, uh, is work based, based out of Boulder or based out of somewhere? In work Colorado? is based out of Boston. Um, oh. But basically what happened was, so I have a weekly one, uh, bi-weekly one-on-one with our CEO and like three weeks into Breckenridge, he was like, why haven't you moved to Colorado yet? You're, you look so happy that your photos make me look happy, make me happy. And I said, wait a minute, you're telling me I can move to Boulder. I thought I, you know, had to be in Boston. He's like, funny thing about limits. Sometimes they're totally, totally made up. And so three weeks later I signed a lease. And he was like, look, I expect you to be very happy and very productive. And it's the kind of place where like I walked into the, to a um, chiropractor's office and the guy asked me what I do for work. And I told him, he's like, oh, I'm a partner with you guys. <laughs> so like, here's a chiropractor I'd never met before. He had had a conversation with my coworker two weeks prior and he set up as, as, a, as a, a, a provider for his clients with us. Mm -hmm. So it's like, the, it's the perfect place for me to be for, for what I do, um, both personally and professionally. Oh, that's awesome. And is it you alone moving or do you, did you have people moving with you? Uh, just me, my roommate from Boston, uh, comes out here <laughs> a fair amount. Mm -hmm. Uh, he's out here for two weeks, um, this month and, uh, probably do that again in the fall. Oh, that's awesome. Um, and you mentioned that a lot of the people you see, um, there are people who move there, um, kind of with intent. Um, and I'm assuming kind of have something similar, a thread that's similar in, in, in all their reasons. Um, I'm, so I, I just moved to Boston in, in, in the fall of this year for school. And I noticed the same thing about Boston, but I think it's a different thread. A lot of people come here for school, um, or they work in healthcare, it seems like. Um, yes. so, and I assume it's similar in, in Boulder, but it, the thread is different. Um, yeah, how would you I, I describe that? Yeah, I think it's super cool. So my experience in Boston was a little bit different. Um, I grew up 10 miles outside of the city and most of my friends through, you know, I'm 30. So most of my friends through like our early thirties lived within 10 to 15 miles of where we were born and where we grew up. Um, Boulder, almost nobody is a local and everyone is here usually without family so the importance of community is that much stronger it feels like so people are here because they want to be here they're here because they love the outdoors and everything that the landscape offers here and they crave they're craving community so like that's my kind of person um somebody who's outdoorsy um uh extroverted and like really enjoys being in nature with other people. Um, my experience with Boston was similar and like the groups I was in um, or continue to be in were definitely outdoorsy and active and all that stuff. But it's just like a, it's a different vibe. And a lot of people, like you said, a lot of people move, move there for school and never leave. Um, many of my friends were from the area and never left. Um, although as of late, they definitely have started to or moving into the suburbs or, or whatnot. Um, but yeah, figuring out like 
that thread that connects the community and finding the community that has the thread that you're looking for, mm-hmm. the feeling of like a sense of belonging and not purpose, but like, I feel a stronger sense of, of community and, and like, this is home here versus Boston. Mm-hmm. My family's from Boston. So it's a bit of a different story, but like it, it's almost hard to describe like what it feels like. So I, I went on a, a work trip to California mm-hmm. um, at the end of June and flying back to Colorado and driving back from the airport. I was like, wait a minute, I'm ending a trip here. Mm. Amazing. Like, I can't believe that, that this is happening. Yeah. Do you think there's some sense of excitement in you? That's kind of, so doesn't believe that this is now your home. Cause that's kind of what, yeah, definitely. Um, and the, the eight week stint back East definitely added to the excitement. Um, cause when I was back East, I was like, okay, I've got this like second life that I've just started uh, in Colorado, rented a rented a townhouse, furnished this townhouse, and then like went back east for eight weeks. And it was like, did that even really happen? Like, mm. is this real? Like the car that's sitting in the garage? Like, did I really buy that car, or is this just like a dream that I had? Um, and so it does still feel surreal. And my experience has been that a lot of people continue to have that feeling for a long time. Um, a friend, a uh, friend of mine who has been living here for a few years basically said, never let that feeling get old. We, we had gone for a run and every run here is surrounded by mountains. And I was just like, this is freaking awesome. Look at this. He's like, never lose that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I said to him, I was like, I'll do my best to not lose this. Like, it's so invigorating and it's so like. I go on these runs and I ran uh, a place called El Dorado Canyon. You start at a trailhead called Dowdy Draw. It's my number one favorite run in Boulder. Um, and you go uphill for four miles or three miles and the views get more stunning every single time you turn. You're just like cutting into a little canyon and going up and up and up and up and up and you're looking at the mountains, you're looking at the flat irons and it rained a lot this past spring. So everything is like very lush and green and the contrast between the, the flat irons and the blue sky. It's just fantastic. It looks like art. So you're climbing up this, this trail. It's like a two, it's a two mile ascent and then a bit of a rolling hill and then it goes up again and then you're at the top. And every time you turn, it's like, oh, my God, this view just got better. And I ran it with a friend who experiences life with more joy than, like, most people experience, like, more joy per minute than most people experience, like, in their life. And to watch her, like, do this with her head exploding as she continued to go up and see these better views in a run she's done a half dozen times before was fantastic. She said the first time she ran this, she just, like, pulled over and bawled her eyes out. She was like, how is this real? Like, how is this place real? Um, And so it's just like that all the time. And it's like a level of happiness that I didn't know could exist. Yeah. You're, 
it sounds really happy from how you described it. I don't think you needed to add that at the end. I wouldn't. I, I can. I think I could feel what you were feeling, kind of to a certain extent. Um, that's really, really awesome and cool. Um, I have never heard of anyone describe the place they live the way you are right now, um, which is awesome. Um, so, would you would you recommend anyone who who running is in a very important? Um, Okay, before I make that assumption, uh, what's the percentage of runners versus people who do other endurance uh, things like cycling or um, so? Or other Boulder's sports? a pretty pretty strong hotspot for all sorts of endurance activities. I'd say running is probably number one, but there's so many triathletes and cyclists out here too, and swimmers and and people like that. Um, but like you go into the Whole Foods and like it's not uncommon to see th three Olympians like just in like shopping in whole mm -hmm. foods and there's nothing like they're humans they're just yeah. good at the sport so it's not like oh my god you're an olympian you're like the the greatest person that, to walk the earth but it's just funny to see that and have it be so normal mm -hmm. yeah uh do you ever do you see yourself ever leaving it's a good question i was on a first date and some and she asked me this and i was like <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, I, and I don't know. Um, my roots are definitely on the East Coast. Mm -hmm. um, my, you know, dream scenario. So I still have my place in Brookline. Um, and I will be going back there every month or every other month, basically. And my dream scenario is basically like have a place on the Cape or Western Mass and a place in the mountains up here. Um, I don't know what that looks like eventually, you know, having a wife and kids or whatever, but, um, I, I can't imagine not spending a lot of time here in this community, mm -hmm. um, and surrounded by mountains. Yeah. And I guess that's also a tough question to ask to someone who's, I don't know if you tried to do this, but it sounds like you do to like live every day and every second kind of in the moment. Um, and it sounds like everyone around you is doing it there too. Um, so maybe planning is not that good of a thing to do um, when you have so much to enjoy uh, right I now. I would agree, yeah. Um, so sorry for asking that question. <laughs> All good. Um, how long have you been into running? So I've been, I started running when I was 22, 23, 21, 22. Um, I got serious about it within the last three or so years. Um, I started running for similar reasons of, uh, as many people graduated college and had a few pounds to lose, um, and figured running was the easiest way to do it. Um, and then I was spectating the Boston marathon in 2013 from Wellesley. And I was watching all these people of different shapes and sizes running the marathon. I was a cocky 22 year old. And I said, Oh, if they're doing it, I can do it. So I told a friend I would run a marathon the next year. Uh, and then the bombing happened. And the next day I put on my shoes and I drove to Newton and I, I ran into Boston along what I thought was the course. It was mostly the course. Um, and I get into Boston and I'm turned around by SWAT team with giant machine guns. Say, so you, can't, you, can't you can't be here, leave. There's an active manhunt, obviously. Um, 
So I did, I ran back and that was my first half marathon. Uh, it was my first stress fracture. <laughs> um, and at the 10 mile mark, I'd never crossed 10 miles before. I was somewhere in Newton on my way back. I was like, this is really awesome. Like, I can't believe I just ran that far. Um, so I got the bug there. I also got that stress fracture. Um, so I uh, had to you know, take it easy for a couple of weeks after that. Um, but then I ended up getting a coach training properly. Um, I met a uh, November project in Boston and like really fast tracked my fitness from there. Um, talk about enjoying the moment. Everybody around me was running marathons. Everybody around me was doing, you know, three to five workouts a week, which is too much. Um, and we were all just like doing everything all the time. And again, I was like 23, 24 years old. So I was like, I can sustain this. We were drinking a bottle of wine every Sunday night. I was like, yeah, this is great. Like, I don't know. I don't know how I lived like that intensely at that time, but I did. Um, and then I fell in love with the running community and really started enjoying the process of like doing the work and seeing the results. Um, and, and then I fell really in love with the idea of breaking three hours in the marathon, um, like to a fault. And I attempted four different times to break three. One of those times I didn't even break four. Um, I, the last 10 K of, of Boston that year, this was 2017. It took me not like 90 minutes to run the last 10 K. Um, that was, it was just brutal. Anytime I go faster than 10 minute mile, I would fall down. And I like kept, I kept pushing in this. I must do this. I must do this. I was so associated and so tied to the outcome of like, I need to do this because my worth as a runner is dependent on my ability to run a 250 something. And I was like, somebody asked me in an interview a couple, a couple months ago, they're like, would you call those marathons failures or lessons? And my answer was, I would have called them failures because I didn't learn from them. I just kept doing the same thing without changing my approach. And I was like, I deserve this because I'm doing the work. Um, there's a guy named Peter Bromka who has run 219 low twice. And the Olympic trials standard is 219, not low, 219.00. He's run 219.06 or 219.30 something. And he says, the marathon doesn't owe you anything. And I was very much in, the, in this period of the marathon owes me sub three because I'm doing the work. I was doing the work physically. I wasn't doing the work mentally, I think, at the time. And I, again, I was like super cocky. I thought that I deserved it. And I continued to not learn from being humbled. I wasn't being humbled. I was just failing. Mm -hmm. And when I ran Boston 2017 in four hours and one minute, I was like, all right something here has to change. My goal was three hours under three hours on that day. Um, I didn't even come. I did. Like I said, I didn't even break four. And at that point I realized I was doing it for the wrong reasons. And I was, I was so focused on the outcome that it's a good thing. I didn't achieve it because 
I would have been so lost with like what to do next with, okay, I did, I'm, I'm now sub three marathoner. Like who cares? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, at the end of the day, it's like, it, it just doesn't matter. And I was assigning so much value to that super objective number or that super arbitrary number. And it was just this goalpost that I could never get to. But I, I'm like, like, I can't imagine what it would have been like if I hit that goalpost um, in, in 2017 or 2016 or whatever. Um, because I don't think I would have been like equipped to deal with like whatever, um, whatever happened next. Mm-hmm. And so what happened next was I had a conversation with a friend. I was like, I think I'm like burnt out on running marathon road marathons. And so this conversation was with Devin Yanko and Devin is a professional trail and ultra runner with specialty ranging from the half marathon to hundred miles and beyond. She's won hundred mile races. She's won marathons and everything in between. And so I asked her, I was like, what should I, what should I do? And she basically said, do whatever makes you happy and do whatever you think is fun and just keep doing it until it's not fun anymore. And then do something else. So I signed up for 50 K I trained for the 50 K. Um, and it, it was canceled. <laughs> um, this was in 2018 and it was canceled due to the wildfires uh, in California at the time. And we ended up long story, very long story short within a long answer. <laughs> um, ended up organizing uh, what's called like a fat ass race where you just like show up and, and do it uh, out in Tahoe where the air quality was better, but mm-hmm. it's at, you know, 6,000 feet I'm from sea level. So we put out a couple of tweets, a couple of Instagram posts, and all of a sudden like 50 people showed up on this Saturday morning at the top of Donner pass and a bunch of North face athletes were, this was North face 50. That was, we were supposed to be running. So people were already out there. Um, North face committed to like, we ended up doing some fundraising for the victims of the fire and North face committed to raising or, or, um, doubling whatever we raised. We raised $20,000 as a result and 50 people ran a 50 K in Tahoe. And at that moment, I like completely fell in love with the trail community. I was like, okay, this makes sense. I love this. Um, and that was sort of the segue into working with, um, I, I had already been working with my coach at the time for, I don't know, three months, four months. And I just like really fell in love with the trail community and, and ultra runners and like the whole mentality of like pace doesn't matter. Let's go have a day and go explore. Um, I ran that 50 K in seven hours and seven minutes. It had like 6,000 feet of climbing. The average elevation was like 8,700 feet. Um, and I had the time of my life and I bonked at mile 25 and came back and I ran the whole thing with four. I ran the first 25 miles with four friends 
and one of them, Jenny, ran her first marathon on that day. We were supposed to run North Face together. We had been training together that whole summer. And then um, my buddy Brian, who was going to do the full 50K with me. So she, so Jenny and, and another friend, Katie, finished the, the marathon, and Brian and I went along, uh, went up to hit two more summits to, and, and then come back down and, and hit the 50K. And at like mile 29, we're cruising downhill. And he goes, John, I've got a problem. I was like, uh, what? He's like, I can't stop smiling. <laughs> and so we're just like rolling downhill. It's mile 29. I'd never run this far in my life. And I'm just like, like laughing and having the, a hell of a time. And there's just a photo of me running into this dusty parking lot at the 50k finish like surrounded by all these people who showed up many of them knew each other many of them didn't pro pro trail runners friends supporters blah 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 um everyone's there just like for the most wholesome reason just to have fun um and it's just like it, i have this like shit eating grin on my face and i'm like i knew in that moment that i had discovered something and i didn't know what it was and I knew that like I had found my people and I had found like what was next. Um, and it was all in the pursuit of like, what do I do if I'm not running road marathons? And it was Devin's answer of like, follow what's fun. And so on that day, fun led me to the top of Donner summit, the top of Donner pass to run a 50 K with a bunch of people and it just unlocked this next level of of my life and that was what a 15 minute answer to your, to your question of when did you start running dude i love it because that gave me so much insight and i so i've, I've tried running one marathon in my life and uh i hurt my it band like two weeks before running really bad and i still wanted to try the marathon at mile 15 i couldn't stand up anymore um and I, I want to hear what your reason was uh, for setting, like, for trying so hard to break a three-hour marathon. Because uh, I know I have one. And it might be the same one, I think. But I want to hear what, what do you, have you reflected on why you were pushing yourself so hard to, to break that three-hour mark? Even before, before you even ran your first, like, you, you barely started running and you already had that goal to break. Yeah. Have you reflected on why potentially you might have had that? So... I ran my first marathon in 2014. I ran a 3:35, and I was like, "Okay, I got, I could probably do that faster." Um, and the next spring, I basically said, oh, "I'm going to cut 30 minutes off and try and BQ." And at the time, it was a 3:05. And let's see. So I ran the shamrock marathon in March of 2015. And I ran the first 18 miles at a three Oh five pace. And I basically walked it in from there and ran a three twenty seven. So I PR by seven minutes. Great. Mm -hmm. But the last seven miles were terrible. Um, fast forward a couple of weeks I had recovered fine because I had only really like raced 18 miles and then like hobbled in um, for the next seven or eight. And 
I had an opportunity to run Boston and I got an invitational bib from a sponsor, a race sponsor, 11 days before the race. And like, she was like, weird. I can't find anybody who's ready to run a marathon like in two weeks. I was like, well, I just ran one. So I've got like the long runs in my legs and I had recovered like quickly. Um, so I said, sure, let's do it. And I went out with no expectations, having run a marathon six weeks prior. And I had the time of my life. It was like, it was so fun. And I finished and was, I had the only sore muscle. Well, my legs were sore, but the most sore part of my body were my arms and, and biceps and triceps. Cause I was like, like doing like fist pumping and like the wave and all this stuff, like all the way down Beacon street. I was like, I need to do this again. I must do this again. So originally my goal became BQ so that I can run Boston again. And then as I got more involved in the running community, I was like, all right, my measure of success is running under three hours and making it into Boston. And so I put this like unhealthy pressure to do it because I thought that like, that's what you need to do to be a good runner. Like, you qualify for Boston, then you're a good runner. You get respect and you get blah, blah, blah. It's like such bullshit. Like looking back on, looking back on it, it was like for, for totally the wrong reasons, totally extrinsic, like mm -hmm. vanity. Um, I need to do this so that I'm good enough. Um, which is why I said when I didn't do it for those four times that I, they were failures. I didn't learn from them. I didn't change anything. And I continually would run 18 miles at a 305 pace and then mail it in and, and like, just like give up and not even give myself a chance. Or I'd go out too fast and then fade so that I wouldn't have to like really find out what I was made of later because it was easy to slow down. It's always easy. You can always stop and you can always go slower. So the turning point for me was I lined up at the Providence Marathon in 2019 and I hadn't run a marathon since April of 2017 at Boston, where I ran the 401. And I stood in the start line, just like smiling. I was like, whatever happens next is a celebration of the last two years of mental and physical growth. And I had had a conversation with Shalane Flanagan prior to the race. And she said, I never feel more alive than I do when I'm racing. Go out there, enjoy it, and and live. Mile 18 comes around. I'm on pace for 250 high, which is faster than I'd ever gotten to mile 18 before. Here's where it started to get challenging. I, I had split a half marathon at like 127.40, and my PR, or 128 low, or something like that, my PR in the half marathon at that time was a 127 something. <laughs> so I'm like, I've run my second fastest half marathon in the first half of this marathon. Mm -hmm. And I was like, cool, great, feel good. Like these 640s and 650, like 645s are just like too easy. Mm -hmm. My first three miles were all like 640 and I could not slow down and I felt so amazing. So I didn't slow down. I was like, I'll either pay for this later or have a breakthrough. <laughs> Let's find out. Let's live. <laughs> um, so mile 18 rolls around, mile 20 rolls around, things start to get harder. 
mile 20, I do some math and I was like, if I run sub seven for the next 10 K I'll do it. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what was more impressive. The fact that I did it <laughs> or the fact that the math was right. You're doing the math. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, again, like shocked that, that the math was right, but it was, I don't mean to interrupt you, but I think your camera's out of focus. Oh yeah. How's that? It's still out of focus. Um, that should do it. No, no, unfortunately. There you go. Cool. So, mile twenty rolls around. Things start to get hard. I decide I'm going to make it harder and run faster. And so, in this moment, I broke through a barrier that I'd never been able to break through before, which is when things get hard, then what happens? In the four previous marathons, I'd given up. And I was like, nope, it's easier to back off and get comfortable and and slow it down and mail it in. And the Shalane's words just like reverberated in my brain at that moment. And I vividly remember saying to myself, make it hurt how much can you take and i said this out loud (laughs) and i accelerated from there and mile 25 hits and i'm like really close it's like 250 one and change at mile 25 or 252 and whatever the math is and i was going through a tunnel at the beginning of the tunnel a dude goes get on your horse let's like go like you you have to go if you want to break three dude didn't know who i was or like that i was chasing the sub three or whatever i get in this tunnel i scream and take off and i had never been in so much physical like the cross between like euphoria and pain. And I could see on my watch that I had like two minutes, one minute, 45 seconds, 30 seconds. Where's that fucking finish line? Like it better get here. Otherwise I'm not going to do it. And I make the last turn. I see a 259. 30 on the clock and I ran the last hundred yards like out of my mind I finish I see a 259 and a four on the clock and a woman goes to hand me a medal and I screamed in her face (laughs) and then apologized immediately and I was like Oh my God, I'm so sorry, but holy shit, I can't believe what I just did. And she's like, I love it. Congratulations, blah, blah, blah. And then my body just went numb and I couldn't move anything. And my dad was there and it had been raining or drizzling. So my my clothes are wet, obviously. And I wanted to change my shirt. My dad was like, hey, I've got a shirt for you. And I couldn't lift my arms at all. So he had to pick my arms up and take my shirt off and put my other shirt on. He's like, uh, this was 2019. So I'm 29 years old or 28 years old. He's like, 
I haven't done this in 20 <laughs> years. <laughs> He's like, I never thought I would be dressing you again <laughs> or undressing you again. And that, that moment that we shared there was like, was so cool. Um, and well, then we, we hobbled around for, you know, 10 minutes. So I didn't sit down and I just, I was on like cloud nine and I think back on that, like, what if I had run 21 seconds slower mm -hmm. and run a 30001? I probably still would have considered that like a whopping success because of what happened 10K prior. I, I decided, no, I'm not going to give up today. I'm going to see mm -hmm. how much, how far I can push myself and what can happen next. And that's the part I love about running the most is like, running as a sandbox to make mistakes and experience things and learn. And if you fail, your exit is always stopping. You can stop and walk off the road and your life goes on mm -hmm. and nobody cares at the end of the day. You don't even have to care. Mm -hmm. But if you make that, if you make a mistake in life or in work or with relationships or with friends or whatever, like, and you did something risky or gambled or whatever, like that has a pretty decent impact on, on life, but the ability to try something hard and achieve it allows us to take that and say, okay, I can do things that are hard and then things will not be as hard in the future. Like I have a fairly demanding job. I love it, but it's fairly demanding. And we have big, scary goals as a growth oriented company. And I just have to have um, somebody put it yesterday. She was she was talking about um, she was talking about like ignorance and curiosity and like I don't know what's going to happen, but I want to find out. Type of uh, this is Stephanie Garcia, who was um, retired as a track athlete or is moving from track into trail and OCR. And she's like, I live my life as like a walk on athlete. Like what's going to happen next? Uh, I don't know, but stay tuned to find out. And, and so I think the more we can approach life like that, particularly as somebody who doesn't enjoy or is good at planning like mm -hmm. myself, um, I thrive in those scenarios where it's like, what is going to happen? All right. I'm pretty confident that we'll figure it out or we'll get there or, or whatever. And running is the vice that allows you to practice that, um, flex that muscle and train that muscle so that when you go into your office or your school or your, the, the conversation you don't want to have with your partner or whatever, like you have that confidence that you can do hard things and you can be better as a result and it doesn't have to go well, mm -hmm. but sometimes it does. Yeah, it's really congratulations on the sub three hour uh, marathon. <laughs> Thank you. Um, it's really fascinating to me hearing how uh, you it's it's your tool to get out of your comfort zone, right? Um, there was a period in um, in college when I discovered when I read something online about taking cold showers, um, and I was like challenged, and I started I started doing it like in the fall, and like the weather wasn't too cold yet. Um, and like all my roommates thought I was crazy because I would take these cold showers in the morning that are like freezing and the weather was starting to get cold and I didn't stop taking them even when it was like, you know, 
snowy outside when it was like freezing outside i would still take the cold shower and i would come out and my entire skin was red and i was shivering and inside the shower inside the shower my like my head would turn numb um so they, they thought that like i was crazy like they didn't think i was crazy i was actually crazy um but it was my tool to get out of my comfort zone during those times so that throughout the day i would know like i could i can do that i can put myself through these uncomfortable situ in that uncomfortable situation so why should i be scared of these other things that i want to do like the uncomfortable conversation that i need to have um even simple thing things like like talking to a stranger like asking a question in in the middle of a class or um um doing a project or whatever um and it was actually around that time when i started getting into running too um and that's i think that's the same reason why i wanted to do the marathon i wanted to get out of my comfort zone but i was doing it I was I was being stupid about it, which is why I didn't finish it. Um, but it's fascinating to me hearing how all these different like different people go about it in different ways. But I think to uh, make a generalization here, but to live a happy life, I think every human needs need like needs to have some tool that allows them to be displaced outside of their comfort zone where they feel safe, they feel like they know everything, they're certain about what's going to happen. And, and be in a situation where they're actually not sure if they can make it out of that situation. But the beautiful thing about us humans is that we're pretty resilient. We just never get tested. We don't get tested that often anymore because we're surrounded. We live in buildings that are sheltered. Hope, hopefully most of us. Um, we're not so worried about uh, um, our basic needs as much as we Editors. used to back in the day. Yeah, exactly. Other animals, other humans as much maybe even. Um, uh, so I think we need to create these artificial situations for ourselves so that we still continue to grow and it's fascinating because like why can't we just artificially figure out a way to do that without like having to physically do it but i don't think we've right. gotten that advanced yet as a species we still have to do it physically or at least yeah, that's, no. that's the answer that i know right now and i think you shared a suit like it has to be something physical outside of our comfort zone like i still work out every single day if it's, it's not running it's lifting if it's not lifting it's boxing if it's not boxing it's swimming whatever like it has to be something outside of my comfort physical zone every day so that my head can be clear to do everything else that i have to do yeah totally agree um there's an article a couple of years ago in outside magazine that said endurance athletes make the best employees mm -hmm. and it alluded to the fact that like we most people live with a decent amount of comfort and never really get challenged on anything and again it's all relative but most people have some baseline level of comfort, a house, a home, a, you know, food, things like that. Um, and you go throughout the same routine every single day and it's fairly sheltered. And then what happens when something hard happens? Like you have no experience flexing that discomfort muscle or, or rebounding from some sort of discomfort. So I think that, um, like you said, your vice was cold showers. Um, me, I like running in the morning because it sets the stage for the day, but it's also physically the hardest thing I'm going to do. And, and, um, and, you know, if there's a workout or a long run involved, like I can do hard things. And then that sets me up for being able to, you know, have, the ability to do hard things in other arenas. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I've been meaning to ask you this and I want to get to it uh, sooner rather than later. Where does podcasting come into play for, for you? So I started my media podcast. In 
Yeah. So I started my podcast in 2019. Um, but the, the genesis of the podcast. So I, I like asking questions. I like asking why, why, why do you do this? What, where did it come from? Where's your motivation? And as a result of what I get to do through work, which is meet really awesome people and a lot of elite and professional athletes, I get to ask this question to like pretty successful people, Olympians, professional athletes, entrepreneurs. Um, And one particular conversation was fairly notable. His name is Zach Miller. He's a pro trail runner for North Face. And at the time he was running 150 mile weeks. And in 2016 or 2017, I don't remember which, he and Hayden Hawks were racing at North Face 50 and they were doing 50 miles and I was doing a 10K and we were finishing at the same time and I was in my sixth mile and they were in their 50th mile. And um, Zach blew my doors off and I, he was running, again, 44 miles further than I was. And it was just like visceral sound of like deep breathing. And like, I was like, is there a train behind me? Like what's going on here? So I asked him about that. I was like, how do you get there? How do you get to this level of discomfort and uh, performance? Talking about both that race and just like training like that in general. And he talked for like 10 or 15 minutes, like completely unbroken. And I was like, this is gold. I need to share this with people. Like it's, this is incredible. So fast forward a couple months, I was listening to a podcast with Billy Yang and Mario Frioli and they were talking, this was at the end of 2018 and they were talking about how everybody's a podcaster now. Um, and this is fine. It's a good thing. Iron sharpens iron is what they said. And I decided in that moment I was going to start a podcast. I didn't know anything about anything podcasting related except I knew a lot of really cool people I wanted to ask questions to and, and talk to. So in January, I bought a bunch of gear. And in February, I went to Flagstaff for a um, ultra camp and did a bunch of podcast interviews. And I was talking with um, Ben Rosario, who's the coach of Northern Arizona Elite Pro Team out in Flagstaff. And we were talking about his team and media and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, yeah, we got to be ready at any time for magazine articles and interviews and podcasts. And I was like, did you say podcast? (laughs) Do you want to do one? He's like, you serious? I was like, yeah, I got some, I got some microphones in my bag. And so that was my first, the first episode I released um, with Ben Rosario. uh, And that was 170 episodes ago. Um, And I've never had an agenda for the podcast. I've never, like, it's not tied to my livelihood. It's not, uh, I have sponsors, but um, they've approached me. I, I, like, I didn't start the podcast with the goal of commercializing it and having it become a revenue generator, but, like, I bought a bike with my podcast proceeds. Like, it's become something nice. substantial and it's just so damn fun that like, I love doing it and I'll continue to do it. Um, so the podcast is called for the long run. It's all about exploring the why of what keeps runners running long, strong, and motivated. And given that it's not tied to my livelihood or anything, um, 
I work with brands that I like, and I have the creative liberty to talk about whatever I want. And it doesn't need to fit any specific narrative. And that allows me to talk about social justice issues and things that aren't right in the world and uh, mental health and like things that I personally care about and care to share with other people versus like rubbing someone the wrong way and, and like losing a sponsor. Like if I lose a sponsor from something that I say on my podcast, I don't care. Like I don't want to work with somebody who, who doesn't agree with the way I present myself online, which is unfiltered, but like not like immature and, and ranty and rambly, but like, telling it how it is and talking about things that matter mostly about running. Um, and yeah, it gives me the creative freedom to just like, Oh, I want to go talk to blah, blah, blah. Like I'll spin the, the camera around. That's where I have people come in Boulder and they come to my nice. house and we sit in those chairs and, um, we talk for an hour and, um, it's a really cool way to meet people and get to know people that I already know a little bit better. Um, and also, like I said, like it's a great way to meet people. So I'm now in Boulder and, and there are a lot of like athletes that I've followed for years that I want to meet. <laughs> so like, I'll just reach out to them and ask if they want to come chat for an hour. And then it like it creates it starts a relationship in a way that is so much more than just hey how are you good great me too like that's such bullshit like mm -hmm. there's so much small talk that exists and i i thrive and love the um when people can skip right through that and talk about important stuff and if you come on the podcast and we thought we do small talk for an hour like i'm not airing that episode like we're going to we're going to talk about important stuff. I'm not going to ask your stats or like talk to me about your favorite workout. I might ask like tell me about a workout that was meaningful to you or tell me about a workout that you failed and then what or what did you learn from that race that didn't go so well or talk to me about executing a race. Like there are plenty of podcasts that will ask about splits and times and all this. I'm not interested in doing that. It's a time and a place for it. I do talk about numbers a lot. And I, like at the beginning of this one, like I use that as a way to set the context for like, I'm chasing sub three. I ran 401. Everyone knows what that's like to run that far away from your goal time. I could be, you know, it could be a five hour marathon that I ran 601. Like that's the piece that's relative. And so that's where the numbers, you know, factor in. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the podcast is really just a, a way for me to have interesting conversations with people and, and share it. And so I, I had Kevin Rutherford, the CEO of noon on a couple weeks ago now, it's like episode 160 something. And he said at the end, so why do you still do this? Or why do you do this? I said, the podcast, he said, yeah. I said, we just talked for an hour and I'm going to live my life differently today based on the conversation that we just had. Be, you know, because of what you said, and mm -hmm. I've now done this 165 times, that's 165 opportunities to learn and then share that with thousands of people who could potentially change their life as a result of what whoever it is has to say. 
and I'm about to cross 600,000 downloads. So it's like a lot of people have heard this rambling from me and my guests for you know the last couple of years. Um, so I feel like it's, you know, starting to have some sort of impact and it's just like picking up steam. And again, like the numbers don't necessarily make or break whether I do it or not, but it's really encouraging to see the the growth and the fact that as time goes on, more and more people continue to listen. Mm-hmm. Um, congratulations, even though, uh, you don't want to focus on the numbers, but that's something that's, um, that's amazing because it's time you're taking from your life to do this and um, you don't have to share it with the world, but you're choosing to do that because you want to want to help people feel the same way you feel after these uh, episodes. Um, I've done sure. 10 or 12, I think 12 or uh, 13 of them so far. Um, and my day, every time I do one, my day after the podcast is so different than my day before. Um, just the way I feel um, it's, it's almost, I don't say therapeutic, but, my perspective after is so much broader than my perspective before. Like, I feel like before a podcast, I'm focused usually on something subconsciously, but after I'm not focused on anything except I'm just, I'm receiving. I'm, I'm just in the moment and just letting everything kind of go in, um, which is why I love doing them. Uh, but at the same time, I, I love learning about like these different things. Um, uh, fitness running is one of them. Um, how would you say your first one is your first episode different different than than the last one you just did 170? Yeah, for sure. For the first, I don't know, 20 or 30, it was all like Q and A. Like you're doing, you're doing a fantastic job of like asking a question and then following up on whatever I say. And my my first couple dozen episodes were very like question answer question answer question answer. And I don't think that's as interesting to listen to. Um, and it's easier to do it that way, but it, I don't think it's as interesting. And so like, I, I can't go back and listen to my conversations from 2019 because I'm like, oh my God, like he or she just said something really interesting. Why didn't you ask about it? Mm-hmm. Um, and so the feedback that I've gotten lately is that the podcast the better episodes sound like a conversation between friends. It's, it's back and forth. It's not just one person talking the whole time. Um, or it is, and that's great too, but it's not, um, it's not Q and a style where you ask a question and the other person spends 90 seconds answering and then you do it again. Like, Mm -hmm. I think that's less engaging. Um, but yeah, so definitely, it's definitely different now versus before. That's awesome. Do you have any advice for me or other people trying to get into podcasting? Yeah. I mean, just, it's all about finding interesting people. Um, they don't necessarily need to be huge names. Um, it definitely helps for growth purposes, but, um, I think staying true to your initial goal, like have a reason that you have the podcast and don't stray from that. And that'll drive everything, every decision you make, if you anchor it around, what's the why what's why am i doing this so my question is why why are you doing this i love talking to people i i just love hearing people's stories and i love um you're gonna find this very funny uh my top so i'm in med school and um the specialty that i'm interested right now is psychiatry (laughs) because i love seeing how people think uh because it helps me become a better person i think um 
Um, so that's why. And um, I, I've been reaching out to people who are doing things that I enjoy doing as well. Like I, I, I have ran a, a little bit in my life. So I, I like running. I like fitness. So I've been reaching out to people doing basketball, uh, lifting, uh, people in the sciences, which I've strayed away from a little bit right now, just because I feel like I get a lot of science stuff in school. Um, but I'll get to that. Um, and people doing art, uh, my friends. So I, I think my goal is a little bit more broad, which I think like is not going to help me like grow into like um, a brand or something like that. But right now I'm enjoying it like this. So I'm, I think I'm going to continue doing it this way. Um, uh, because honestly, it's kind of, it's just a hobby for me. I, I, I'm trying my best not to think about it as something that's like a hustle that I need, I need, it needs to grow. Um, I'm more than happy with what it is right now. And I don't, I mean, I'd be lying if I said, I don't like, I would, I wouldn't like it to grow, but I'm trying my best not to think about it that way. Um, cool. Cause I think that they'll put a lot of pressure on it and won't make it as enjoyable for me. I think. Yeah, I'd agree. Yeah. Um, one last question I'll ask you, um, uh, Jonathan, what would you tell your 22 year old self about life that, you know, now that you think would have helped you understand life better, have a better perspective or get to where you are now? I don't say quicker, but with more grace, if, if there is anything. There's a hard one. Cause it's like, what could you say that won't go in one ear and out the other? Oh, maybe, um, maybe, maybe that's the thing. Listen more. <laughs> Yeah, listen, listen more. But I think my my thing now is like keep showing up or like the the secret to anything is consistency. Mm -hmm. um, so even you could tell somebody who doesn't believe that that be consistent and see what happens. And again, you don't have to believe it. Just you just have to trust that that's the process and and keep keep showing up and, and see what happens from there. Mm hmm. I love it. I definitely need and to one day you'll live in Colorado. <laughs> <laughs> and one day you'll live in Colorado. No, that's awesome. Uh, thanks. How can re people reach out to you online or connect with you? Um, um, you can find me at JWLevitt, L-E-V-I-T-T, -T, on Instagram and Twitter. And the podcast is For the Long Run, available on uh, just about all major podcast platforms. Awesome. Uh, thank you so, so much, Jonathan.